Yo, this is Pastor Tito here, and this is the Revolutionary Podcast. God use me despite what I've done in my life, what I used to do, despite my past, despite maybe even my present, the fact that I don't know enough of this or that, or I'm not able to do this and that compared to other people. How can I know God's voice and, and know his will? And what happens if I fail? Well, all of those are going to be questions that we're going to tackle as we study the book of Acts in chapter eight specifically, as we're going to see not only the apostles, but the disciples finding out and discovering and living out the answers to those questions in the midst of an insane scenario. And in particularly, we're going to look at the life of one man, Philip the Evangelist. On this day, March 13th, 1781, William Herschel, all right, he thinks he discovers a comet. Actually, he was the one who discovered the planet Uranus. And so Uranus, however you wanted to describe it. So uh, today, March 13th, all those years ago, that planet in our solar system was discovered. On this day, March 13th, 1877, an American named Chester Greenwood, he patents the earmuffs. All those, and he invented it at the age of 15 all those years ago. On this day, the earmuff was created. And one more in 2005. On this date, Bob Iger becomes CEO of Disney, Walt Disney International, and the rest is history. So those are for the Disney nerds out there. And so anyways, so obviously, guys, today, there's a lot of things that happen on days like today. And, and uh, you ever see in the sometimes in the news or Google in different places says, yo, today is like national blank, blank, blank day, right? Today's national donut day, national taco day. You know, I don't know if March 13th has a day like that, but whatever. Uh, we like to mark our days in history. Why? Why, why did we remember? remember these things because these are important things that happened on this date in history that impacted history, right? That impacts other people. Now, not only do we do that in the world history, right? But no, we mark events in our own lives. What are some things that you like to mark? Birthdays, right? What, what other things do you mark in your own life? Online, share one of the things that you love to mark. Drop it in the comment. Everybody else, what's something you like to mark? Anniversaries, right? Wedding anniversaries, things like that. Anybody extra with like first date anniversaries, first kiss anniversaries, first time we hold hands anniversaries, things like that? Some people are extra, I know. Anyways, um, guys, what are, what are other things that we mark? Graduation days. I'm making y'all think today. Is there anything else? Raul, right? Yeah, when, when that tattoo and you give birth and so many things. And, and we, I guarantee you, if you could pause for a minute, there's probably events that have happened in your life that you remember every year because it marked you. Ever since that day, you've been different. As Christians, um, don't we like to celebrate? Maybe not necessarily a specific day. Not, people don't know this. But uh, a lot of people remember the day they got saved. I don't know if anybody knows that. I don't. So if you are, uh, don't know the day you got saved, I don't remember neither. So it's okay. So we're in good company. But I know that some people love to reflect on the day they got saved because that was a monumental day. Everything changed. Well, today we're going to look in the book of Acts and we're going to look at a day that changed history, that from there on out, something amazing happened in redemptive history, in the story of God saving humanity. And on that day, we're going to see something happen, and we're going to look at one man, on one man's response to what happened to that day. And because of that, we're going to learn as believers, not only to see how do we follow Christ as a great example, but we're going to see some other amazing truths along the way. So we're going to read Acts chapter 8. If you have uh, your notes online, you can go to our website. There's notes there. If you're in-house, you got probably a bulletin as well. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to read it together. So let's read Acts 8, 1 through 3. And we're, the focus that we're going to look at is on a guy named Philip. All right? Philip is the focus. So 
Saul agreed to put him, the him is Stephen. We talked about this two weeks ago. Stephen was the first martyr in Christian history, all right? He was the first one to die for the faith in Christ, and he was pummeled to death by rocks, all right, by religious leaders that just, he committed no crime. He just kept on talking about Jesus. So on that day that Stephen died, remember that historic day, on that day that Stephen died, right, they put him to death, on that day, everybody say it with me, on that day? Online, type it, on that day, okay? Uh, I like that they, they repeated. I said type it, and then they repeated again. That was funny. I like that. All right, so anyways, on that day, a severe persecution, key word, broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles, all disciples, were scattered. We're going to repeat this word a lot. Throughout the land of Judea, which was the country of Jerusalem where they were, Samaria, a neighboring nation, which we're going to talk about, devote men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Saul, however, was, a, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So if you were with us a couple weeks ago, we already introduced Saul, where the first time that guy pops up is during Stephen's persecution, dur during his death. And it says that Saul, Saul was holding all of the people's coats and noticing the ver in verse one, it says in agreement with. So he was like, hey, somebody needs to get him. Hey, tell you what, let me, get, let, me, let me hold your coat. Let me hold your coat. You go get this guy. Get him. So that's what he did in agreement with. So he didn't stop it. He was encouraging it. He thought it was the right thing to do. And the ones who killed Stephen were the religious leaders. They were the ones who were in charge of the law. And literally, they broke their own laws in order to kill this man who all he was doing was talking about Jesus. Now, we, we mentioned that a couple weeks ago, so if you want that story, look back on our website and you can catch the rest of it. So here Saul is doing that. He's ravaging the church. And so you can see his attitude. On that day that Stephen was murdered, Saul went off. And literally, you can see that he was going, entering house to house, hunting Christians down, forget personal rights, forget private property. If their only guilty sense was if you believed in Jesus, that's it, you're done. And what's amazing is that when Luke mentions women, women a lot of times were even treated a little more leniently than men. So this just shows his tenacity. He didn't care who you were, how old you were. If you're a Christian, you're done. And so this was severe persecution that launched on that day. Stephen died. But we're going to see something else because another man did something in response to that day. His name was Philip. Philip was mentioned earlier too. We talked about him last week and he was here. He was introduced as one along with Stephen who was chosen to serve these Hellenistic widows, which were Greek, uh, which were culturally Greek Jews. So I am an Americanized Cuban. Okay, I am Hispanic, but I grew up in the United States. That's my culture. That's my where I identify primarily. So a Hellenistic Jew is a Jew that is really more Greek than Jew, but they're Jewish by nature. I think that that makes sense. So Philip was chosen as a unique individual who loved God and had characteristics, leadership characteristics, and he served the widows. That was his role. He didn't care if it was beneath him. He wanted to serve out of the love of God that was in him. But on that day, his boy was murdered. And he, it doesn't say, but he might have been one of those devout men that buried Stephen, where, who mourned after him. And so I don't know what you would do if you had such a tragedy happen to you and a loved one. But something amazing happens to Philip as he, he, he sees his best friend died for the cause of Christ. A lot of people be like, you know what, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. That's what happened to Stephen. What could happen to me? But Philip does the complete opposite. So let's look at what, let's see Philip's story. <clears throat> so those who, and now let's read verse uh, four through eight. Those who were scattered, again, the Christians who were scattered, the only ones who stayed in Jerusalem were the apostles. And there was a reason for it, but they stayed there. Those who were scattered, there's that word again, went on, to, went on their way preaching the word. First off, pause. Why are they being driven out of their homes as refugees? Listen, I am a product of a family who fled a nation and it's a, I'm a family of refugees. A lot of people in this room, you're here because of what? You're a refugee online as well. You know, the people that are running, we see it on the news online, the tragedy that's happening in Ukraine and Russia and all those that are running from something. So here, these people are running for what? Because they are believers in Christ. And as they're running, what are they doing? Each and every one of them are saying, listen, I know they're running after me. They're, they're trying to kill me, but I'm going to keep telling people about Jesus. There's other people that need to know. 
And so they weren't running to be cowards. They were running because they're saying, you know what? If I die, someone's not going to find out who Jesus is. And so I'm going to keep going and tell as many people as possible before I die. Look at the boldness of these men and women and children to speak. Philip was one of them. There's his boy. So here is someone who your boy just died from being a Christian. For, and that's it. He buries him and goes off on a mission. That amazing, amazing dude. He's going to pop up later in the year as we talk about him. So Philip went down to a city in Samaria. Technically, he went north. That's, there's, that's an important detail. So he technically goes north to Samaria. He proclaims the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip had said as they listened and saw signs that he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great, what in that city? Joy in that city. Great joy in that city. And so there's an amazing thing that you need to pause. And I'm here to help you, okay? This is not me nerding out. It's because there's so many interesting details that speak a lot to us. And so I want to help you today. So where is he? He went to a, a region, a nation called Samaria. Now, Samaria, if you've ever read the Gospels, that should sound familiar because Jesus engaged with the Samaritans a lot. If you've read the Old Testament, that should sound familiar. So let me help you with what a Samaritan is. A Samaritan were mixed Jews, not like Hellenistic Jews who were pure Jews, yet you grew up culturally Greek. No, Samaritans were different. Samaritans were biologically both Jew and Assyrian. All right, so there was a nation of Assyria, which no longer exists, an ancient nation, came in, conquered a portion of Israel, and they forced these Israelites to breed in with their own, and so here is a new people group. Got it? So uh, Hispanics would be a great example. I mean, I'm a Hispanic where, you know, we're a product of multiple, you know, mixes of DNA. And then you got Hispanics. Pretty cool, right? And so there you go. Uh, And so that's what Samaritans are. They're unique. Now, the thing with Samaritans were because they were half Jew, half something else, they were seen because they were not pure blood Jews. That means you're not truly God's people. So the Jews saw them as half a person. You see that? They saw them as half a person. They didn't think that they were important. All right. So, hey, uh, we all do that. That's very racial and prejudice. Every nation, every culture, every color, skin, we all do the same thing. So that's what they were doing. But also, here's the thing. The Jews and the Greek, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along because the Jews also rejected the Samaritans because the Samaritans rejected the Jews. The Samaritans like to play um, kind of like they treated God's word like golden corral. All right. Where you kind of go in and be like, you know what? I like this and I like this. And no, I'm not eating that. And so that's what they did. They were like, you know what? I know God's law says we have to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. But you know what? Uh, No, I don't think so. We're going to create our own temple and we're going to worship God how we want to. And uh, I know there's certain laws and certain customs that our God, the God Yahweh and stuff has said we should do. But I don't think so. We're going to do something else and we're going to do it on our own. And so the Jews even more and like, oh, so not only are you going to reject God's you know, God's people, you're a little, okay, whatever, but you're going to reject his temple. You're going to reject the law. You're going to reject the land. Then yeah, there's no hope for you. So Jews look the Samaritans as a lost cause. You are not of the people of God. You can't be saved. You're done. They wrote them off. And so the Samaritans had no hope. That's what they did. And if you've read Jesus, he interacts with the Samaritans a lot. How many of you have ever heard of the parable of the good Samaritan? You ever heard of that one? Where Jesus uses a Samaritan to talk to a Jewish person who's saying, all right, Jesus, I understand that the law tells me to love my neighbor. So who's my neighbor? And so he wanted Jesus to tell him, well, this is your neighbor, to give him and the ability to justify. Oh, so if he's my neighbor and he's not my neighbor, then according to God, it's okay for me to love you. It's okay for me not to love you. That's what he wanted. He wanted Jesus to tell him, who am I, who can I, who shouldn't I love? And Jesus instead gives a story of two Jewish leaders who did not help a dying man because according to their Jewish laws and customs, they could not touch a dying person to be clean before God. So they ignored it. And a Samaritan comes, helps him, heals him, puts him in the hospital, pays his bills, yada, yada. I'm going fast forward here. And then at the end, Jesus says, who was the neighbor? The guy said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus flipped in and said, no, it doesn't matter who is, you be a neighbor. That means you got to love everybody. And you're, you're trying to follow these laws and you got it wrong. And so he used the Samaritan as the hero. And when he says, who was the neighbor? The Jewish leader couldn't even say the Samaritan. He was so disgusted. That's how much animosity and prejudice that he says, the one who showed compassion. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. 
Look how racist that person was, right? And so Jesus uses and talks about Samaritans a lot, and he engages their prejudice and so many other things. He heals 10 lepers one time, one of them coming back, praising God for he was saved. And he says, go to the temple in Jerusalem. Tell them what happened. And Luke says, and he was a Samaritan. So here is Jesus touching a sick, diseased individual, a Samaritan, loving them, saying, go worship in the temple. And then there's another one, Jesus at the, with the woman at the well. If you know that story, she was also a Samaritan. And here's Jesus interacting with not only A, a woman, which is something that was, there was a cultural barrier that you did not do, and B, a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. I mean, Jesus is breaking all of the rules in order to talk to this lady who was not a model citizen. Let's just put it that way, okay? She was uh, out there, all right? Let's just put it, I can't say it any nicer before I'm gonna get in trouble, all right? So she was out there. You know, ton of relationships in and out. And God knew her and says, I know you and what you've done, but you know what? And he talks about love and talks about salvation. And then she believes in Jesus and the whole town, it kind of goes crazy. It's an amazing story. So Jesus constantly is interacting with Samaritans for a reason. So here's Philip running to Samaria. Why? Because Jesus told them to. If you remember, for, uh, I'm going to talk to you uh, if you didn't. Uh, Jesus gives the Great Commission. To the apostles and to all of us as believers, he says, go and into all the world. First, he says, go into Jerusalem. Be my witnesses. Tell people about me in Jerusalem, the city where they were. In Judea, which is your nation. In Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So when Jesus says those things, he says, you need to be my witnesses to where you are, Jerusalem, to the people that you like and love, Judeans, even the people you don't like and love, Samaritans, and everybody else. So Philip takes that and says, Jesus said, go to Samaria. I'm going to Samaria. And he's telling them about Jesus, about the Messiah. A lot of them knew about Jesus because he interacted with them. And when they told him that he rose from the dead, everybody was getting saved. And you know what's amazing about this? this uh, the fact that Samaritans were getting saved is, again, you would see these people. They rejected God. They wanted to do things their own way. But you know what? Philip only told them to accept Jesus, not accept their Jewish practices. That's the key one. All it was was except Jesus. And guys, listen, if Samaritans, which are getting saved, if Samaritans are getting saved for having rejected God for so long, guess what? I don't care how long you've been rejecting God, there's hope for you as well. There's hope for you as well. If there was hope for Samaritans for their rejection of God and their hard-headedness and stubbornness, there is hope for us, for all of us who have rejected God, no matter how long it was. And so we see Philip doing that. It's amazing what we see him there. I'm gonna, we're not going to read every little bit, but later on it says that um, Peter and John, the apostles were hearing, wait a minute, who's getting saved? The Samaritans? Wait a minute. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit had not fallen on them yet. And so Peter and John go down and then they start praying for them, lay their hands on the Samaritan believers. And literally Pentecost part two happens. So if you remember the Jews in Pentecost, Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes down and that was a sign, a one-time sign in historic, in history that shows the Jews are saved by God, by faith in Christ and grace alone. That's it. And so now here, Peter and John are there. And when they see this happen, they were like, wait a minute, we were there and we saw what happened with us. And now we're seeing it with the Samaritans. And that was not a normative act, meaning that's what should happen all the time. It was a historic act because when the Holy Spirit fell down and Paul and Peter and John were there, it was confirmation that yes, Samaritans could be saved. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that in uh, months from now. We're going to revisit this whole the baptism of the Holy Spirit and stuff like that. We're going to come back to that later on. So we're just going to leave that nugget. Okay. But that's the fact. If there was hope for Samaritans, there's hope for us. Now, it kind of gets a little spicy, though, because a man named Simon the Sorcerer shows up. Simon had a reputation over here, and he was a great uh, man of God and power, but he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a believer. He was a sorcerer. He was a demoniac. This is what the guy did. He was possessed, and he would do amazing things. Some of them were supernatural. Other things were really charlatan kind of like tricks and whatnot, and he had a reputation, and this is how he made money. This was his career. And so here he is doing all of these signs and wonders, but where is everybody's attention going to now? Philip is doing things that this guy never did. And, and Simon, who you and I would look at somebody who is in witchcraft and all this stuff, 
we see something amazing. The scripture says that even Simon believed and was baptized. And that should lead us to believe, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Look what God did. He delivered somebody that was in witchcraft. And listen, a couple of weeks ago here in our church, we did the celebration of life of a funeral of, of a great sister of ours who passed away. And one of her testimony was how God delivered her from witchcraft and took her out of that and turned her around and God used her for his glory. And so that's amazing. God does that. But before you celebrate about Simon the sorcerer, See, something happened. He goes in and when Simon, and it says that he started following Philip and it looked like, oh my gosh, even Simon turned to believe. This is amazing. What a day. Scripture says Simon sees what happens with Peter and John and when they lay their hands and the Holy Spirit come down and something amazing happens, he goes, Peter, show me what to do. Show me, I, I, name your price. I'm willing to pay for that secret knowledge so that God can use me in that way too. Peter replies. Let's look at his reply. Verse 20 and 23. Peter replies, May your silver be destroyed with you, Simon, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right with God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. Simon says, oh, pray that that doesn't happen to me. But we don't, we don't know if that happened or not. We don't know if he became saved. It just ends there. Church history says that, no, he never believed. But what's amazing here is that you would think Wait a minute, he got saved. He confessed in Jesus' name. He got baptized. Is he saved? Apparently not. Because the Holy Spirit gave eyes to Simon, to him to see, hey, he's pretending. He's trying to follow and do because he still wants to do things for what? Financial gain. He's not in it for my glory. He's in this trying to be a Christian to commercialize it for his own gain. Guys, do you know that it is possible that there are going to be people in the church that have confessed and they've come to the front and they say beautiful prayers, they've been baptized and still are not saved? Let's look around and find out and guess who it is. I'm just kidding. No, we're not going to do that. Okay, we're not going to do that. I'm like, who? Which one are you? Expose yourself. Show yourself today. Listen, but the truth and reality, listen, the fact is, is that, that you can do a lot of religious activities. You have to go into, you have to go into a lot of religious activities. And just because you do that, it doesn't mean that you are saved. It doesn't. And so this, we have to be very cautious with this. All right. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Raise your hands online. Let me know that it says uh, there's snakes in the grass. You ever heard of that term before? There's snakes in the grass. Now, with grass, it grows really tall, right? It's very easy for snakes to, that's what they love, right? I, I've done that. When I've let my grass grow a little too tall, uh, guess what? I, I've seen and come across certain snakes. And so there's a term that says, listen, there's snakes in the grass. And I'm just from Mateo, so I don't know where else he got it from. But it says snakes in the grass keep mowing. All right. You just got to keep going. Keep mowing. There's snakes in the grass. Keep mowing. And we have to understand that as believers, we got to be we got to be cautious because just because this preacher, just because anybody else says this, does this even looks like they have power does not mean that they are. We have to really check ourselves according to the truth and be very cautious. And so that we see something that God is doing. I mean, not God. Satan is doing in here. So if we've been tracking, Satan has been trying to intimidate the church from the outside and he's been trying to infiltrate the church. He tried to infiltrate it with Judas, right? The spirit came in and possessed Judas, got in there, tried to take Jesus out, thought that he won, thought that he did it. But no, right? Jesus rose from the grave even besides betrayal. Oh, and what did Judas do it for? financial gain. Not only did he do it for 30 pieces of silver, he was in it because he thought he was going to be Jesus's treasurer when he becomes king of Judah. And so he was in it for financial gain. So uh, we saw Ananias and Sapphira a couple weeks ago. The spirit got into Ananias and Sapphira, well, led really the, the guy to lie. To what? Oh, that we did all of this and look at this great gift of offering that we did. But in reality, they were keeping it to themselves. They were doing it for their own personal glory. And they were exposed right then and there. And now here's even Satan trying to take a false convert, Simon the sorcerer, and he tried to sneak in and infiltrate the church, but Peter was able to see that. So we need to be cautious, guys, because how can we guard our hearts 
How can we guard our hearts from those who could mislead us or, or butter us up in a way that the enemy can use? Well, again, if there's snakes in the grass, you got to keep mowing, right? Apparently, there's an Australian term where it says, if the grass is cut, the snakes will show. I found that out. So there's an Australian term, if the grass is cut, the snakes will show. So as believers, what do we need to do? We need to make sure that the, the lawn of our heart and mind is cut. How? Through the scripture. The more we look and comb through the scriptures and the truth of God, the more our hearts are maintained and the more whatever the work of the enemy will be exposed. And so that's really important that when we hold to the truth, the fakes will show. All right. But there are snakes in the grass. And so we got to do keep mowing all right so we're just going to keep going after that so simon the sorcerer we got to be careful with the false converts and so here's the next thing now so immediately after what's going down in samaria look what happens acts 8 26 and 29 and the angel of the lord spoke to philip here comes philip again all right and spoke to philip and says get up and go south now to a road that goes down from jerusalem to gaza gaza is this city that is really close in between israel and egypt so if you kind of think of the map right there this is the desert road. So he got up and went there. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch. All right, to quote from my favorite uh, Disney movie, Pirates of the Caribbean, snip, snip. Okay, so that's what that is. Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. I mean, this guy is legit. Who was in charge of her entire treasury? This guy is influential. This guy has power. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home reading the prophet Isaiah. How interesting. This is an Old Testament scripture that happened hundreds of years before Jesus. Look what he's doing. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit told Philip, go and join the chariot. And so let's just pause for a minute there. So we're seeing a lot of things right now. First off, man, Philip's all over the place. By the way, he has been tracking and moving tens of miles on foot. And it's amazing. He first goes north to Samaria, brings the gospel north, and now he runs south, almost into Africa, to bump into one man. And we're going to talk about that one man in a minute. But I just want you to pause for a minute and look at Philip's obedience. When the, when the Holy Spirit spoke something, what is he doing? He's doing it. When the, they said the angel of the Lord said, go down to that road, he did it. When he got to the road, the Spirit told, hey, you see that chariot? Go run up to that chariot. And he did it. And uh, what's really interesting, we're going to come back to a minute. He actually hears, and as he's hearing the prophet, he's like, wait a minute, I know those words. Those are Jewish scriptures. That's Isaiah. And without the Holy Spirit's prompting, Philip goes, hey, do you know what you're reading? He just asked him a question. He was curious. The Holy Spirit didn't tell him to do anything, but he's heard that. That's weird for an Ethiopian caravan. Somebody is reading Isaiah. Do you know what you're reading? And he says, well, how will I know if no one explains it to me? Hop on. And then he hops on. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. And so it's really interesting. That interaction was like, oh, the, the guy seems funny, kind of sarcastic. I'm like, well, I don't know. Somebody needs to explain it to me. I thought it was kind of funny. So here's the thing, guys. When we look at this, I'm like, wow. Wouldn't that be cool for Holy Spirit to, to talk to you and give you divine revelation? Hey, go here, do that, do this, do that, and you just bop, 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 bop. Wouldn't that be awesome? Really? Oh, I'm setting y'all up. Be careful how you're going to answer, okay? Be careful how you're going to answer. Wouldn't it be great to get divine revelation from God and it'd be clear and basic for us to go and do? Wouldn't it be? Say yes. Say yes. What is this? Yeah, I got you. I told you. I was like, online, you should see their faces. Okay, I, I, don't hide. I see you too, okay? Listen, what is this? But not divine direction from God. How much of this are we listening to? How much of this are we listening to? Now, here's gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to come back to that, guys, because I know there's a big objection for people as Christians. I'm like, well, if I can't hear, well, the better question is, can everybody hear the voice of God like this? Can everybody hear it? And should I include God in every little decision that we make? And how I haven't heard God speak. And what should I do when I can't? Well, we talked about that a little bit last week. But you're seeing something amazing here as well. First off, notice that the Holy Spirit didn't give everything. He just told him, go here, go here. And then he figured it out, right? He, he didn't tell him to go talk. He just kind of asked and engaged. And so, guys, it's really important to see when we obey the very basic things that God has already revealed to us and spoken, it's amazing how much wisdom and discernment God gives us to make the in-between decisions. Amen. You hear me on that? 
Because some of you guys are waiting for, well, I need God to speak to me on this and this and this. Well, be careful. Because if you think that you need God's word and direction for every big decision, you need to be very accurate with your definition of a big decision. Y'all hear me on that? Because if you need God's direction and direction for every big decision, then what if you think, oh, that's not that big of a decision, but for God it is. Oh, now you're going to get yourself in trouble. And if you think you got to hear, well, my, my, my encouragement to you guys is this. To double back to what I said last week, you don't need everything like that. God has given us already spoken so much that you can learn how, when you understand the word of God, you understand best the mind of God, and you're able to make wise, spirit-led decisions without hearing a, thus saith the Lord for everything. There's a lot here. Are you listening to that whisper? There's a lot. And so anyways, he goes and engages, and he tells them about the verse. He says, what does this mean? He was like, let me tell you what this means. It's about a man named Jesus. And he goes off, and he, he tells them this. And as he's telling them about salvation and what Jesus did for them, says, as they traveled down the road, there came some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What could keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized them. When they came up from the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. There's that word rejoice, just like the Samaritans did. Philip appeared in Azotus, 20 miles away from where he is now, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns going north until he arrives at Caesarea. That's where we're going to see Philip again in like 15 chapters. But uh, there's a, a unique translation. Some translations say he was transported, like literally as they came out of the water, he popped up in another city 20 miles later. Some other translations, apparently you look at it, he just means he was carried away in the same way. So we don't know if it was supernatural, which by the way, God can do, does, and he's done it in the Old Testament. It could have been supernatural, or the second he got out of the water, he heard his next assignment. Go over there, got it. And he took off. And so we just see Philip just obeying God like that. We don't know which one it is, but we see his obedience to what God has spoken. And so that should be a great inspiration to us. But look at this eunuch when he says here, what should keep me from being baptized? And so something amazing happened to this man. And it says a lot about us. Now, this Ethiopian, he was headed to Africa. Where was he coming from? Jerusalem. So here's an African who went up to Jerusalem from in lower Ethiopia, beyond Egypt. Guys, this was not a, a weekend trip. This took money and time, and this was expensive. All for what? An African non-Jew to go to Jerusalem to worship that God. Why? The reason why I ask why is because the guy had two strikes against him. What do we know? He's an Ethiopian, which guess what that means? He's not. He's not a Jew. And according to the law, there was, if you were a Jew, you can go a certain way. But uh, if you're non-Jew, you're invited to worship God, but you have to go into the temple, the court of the Gentiles, which means this is where you go. You can't come any closer because you're not Jewish, but you're still welcome to come close enough. Got it? So there's one strike. Why would he make this whole trip to be segregated to a certain extent? But then he had another strike against him. What was he? What was the other thing he had? What was he? He was a eunuch. Here's the thing, guys, and this is weird, and we could talk about it later, but according to God's law and word in Deuteronomy, if you got issues with your situation, men and women, you're not allowed anywhere near the temple. So he had two strikes against him. He's not allowed. He's damaged goods. Oh, man, I, I'm trying to be so careful here. All right. He's damaged goods. So why would such a man, you would think, I'm like, huh, why should I worship this God who, who says I'm not enough? Why worship this God who has limits and boundaries? Why make that? I'm not going to do that. But he did it. Why? There, even despite those two strikes against him, there was something in God, Yahweh, that he says, I, don't, I am drawn to that God. I don't care if there's this and that. I want to be as close as I can to this God. I want to know him. There is something about this God that I want to know. And he left Jerusalem, not upset, happy, reading the scriptures still. He had love for this God, despite the strikes. No wonder God sends Philip out of Philip's way to run all the way down just to have this divine appointment to meet one man, 
to tell him the good news about Jesus. Because this guy knew I can only go so far. But here Philip is saying, oh, let me tell you something, man. Let me tell you, because of what Jesus did, he fulfilled the law. He abolished it. So guess what? Even though you're not a Jew, you can be a part of the family, the family of God. You can be saved. And it doesn't matter if you're a eunuch. You can be saved, too. It's okay. Jesus welcomes you. He loves you. So no wonder he said there's water there. What is keeping me from being baptized? I don't know how he asked the question. If it was like honest, like, wait a minute, there's water. Is there anything from, you know, is there anything keeping me from being baptized? No. Let's go. I don't know. Or maybe he was asking it sarcastically like he did Philip the other time. I was like, hey, there's water. Is there anything keeping me from being baptized? No, right? Let's go. So I don't know how he asked it, but he asked it. And there was so much joy. He didn't even care less that Philip just and took off. There was joy in his heart because he got radically saved because of Jesus. And that says a lot, guys, to us. It doesn't matter how many strikes you have against God. Because of Jesus, all of those strikes can be washed away with his blood. There's no barriers anymore between you and God. None. And God sent a man through divine providence, which is different than special revelation. We'll talk about that another day. He sends a man to go to this place to tell him. And this guy goes to Africa and becomes one of the first missionaries and spreads the gospel in Africa. So here's Philip taking it north, taking it south. And all of that to be able to tell this one man who, lo- who was ignored and told he-, he wasn't enough and he couldn't to say, no, God loves you. So online, I don't know who's watching me right now. And for all of you, here you know hey this is a divine appointment that you are here and then i am here and i'm here to tell you god sees you he knows you he loves you and whatever strikes and barriers you think are standing in between you and him they're not there it's a lie there is a it's a lie jesus loves and all who call on his name can be saved if he can save that eunuch he can save us and by the way this is the first non-jew to be saved and so this is so many cool things as we're seeing on that day remember that stephen was murdered the gospel went out ironically and incredibly ironically because saul was trying to stop the spread but by persecuting him he boom he like fanned the flame and, and everybody went so god was using saul's rebellion to spread the gospel ironically but incredibly through men like this and guys i want you to know that that all of these truths matter to us today. And that what happened on that day is impacting every day since and today, and it should impact the rest. And there's a truth that I want you guys to see, especially in the life of Philip, is this truth right here. Listen, in Christ, we are branches that are grafted in. In Christ, we are branches that are grafted in. Philip, that's what Philip was telling the Samaritans. That's what Philip was doing with the eunuch. That's what God did with Philip because he was not a pure Jew like that. He was kind of, you know, it was a, Philip was a Hellenistic Jew. So he wasn't Jewish Jewish. He was Greek Jewish. But those three things are showing us that, listen, God is grafting in branches. And that's a scientific term, guys. Listen, you know what grafting is? You take a trunk, you take a tree, and what you do is you make cuts in a tree. And some of you guys understand this. So if you make cuts in a tree, you can take a branch from a different tree with different fruit, different DNA, and you can cut it into the bark of another tree, put it in there, tie it, bind it, and it becomes a part of the new tree. What happened to Jesus on the cross? Jesus' body was pierced. His hands, his feet were pierced. The crown of thorns wrecked havoc on his head, whipped from head to toe, back shredded. He was wounded and cut from top to bottom so that all of us could be grafted into the family of God. He was cut and wounded so that broken branches can be made whole and new. And so when Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you're the branches. I am the trunk, you're the branches. He goes and then it makes it possible for that branch to be from broken and disconnected to connected again. Bound by the Holy Spirit, bound and sealed with the Spirit of the living God. And because now we are grafted in, we are part of the family of God. Regardless of what we've done and become and this and that, all of that is made brand new because that was our old and now God is making something new and grafting us in to that family. And now because we are grafted in, now we're connected to a source of life 
which is in Christ, which is truth, which is his love. And now because of that, if in Christ we are branches that are grafted in, in Christ the Holy Spirit produces fruits in us and scatters seeds through us. Guys, this is what he does. As a branch is in, what does a branch do? Produces fruit. And that fruit has seeds. And the seeds go out and produce more trees, more fruit, more all of those things. This is what happens, guys, when we are in, and Jesus himself said, I am the vine, you're the branches. You will produce much fruit if you abide. If you abide, which means to practice, to think and act. It's not just something mental, it's all of it together. He says, when you abide in my word, which is to learn, to know, and to grow, and to apply. When you abide in my truth, when you abide in my love, all of it is the same thing. When you abide in me, fruit will be produced. The Holy Spirit then will produce fruit fruits of joy, of patience, of goodness, gentleness, self-control, love. Did, did we not see the Samaritans and what we saw with the eunuch? What fruit did we see? The first one, joy from being saved. This is something that you and I can't manufacture. It happens when we're connected to the truth. And so when that happens, here's the truth that comes inside. And those fruit is being produced. And that is how we live. We reflect in our witnesses. And you're reflecting the joy and the love and the patience and the kindness of goodness of God. And we reflect all of those things. But guys, what's inside of a fruit? Come on, y'all. Y'all smart. What's inside of a fruit? Seeds. Do you know that nature has very creative, automatic ways in which seeds are spread? It, seeds are spread through wind. So as, an, as a fruit falls, the wind can blow that fruit somewhere else and then eventually the seeds are there and then a new tree comes. It could be through wind, it could be through water, it could be through fire, it could be through animals. And seeds transfer all around and that's how literally you, the nature plants seeds automatically. That's what it does. And the Holy Spirit uses many different ways in order to, as we live and produce these fruits, as I'm interacting with you, by the way, when a tree produces fruit, does a tree eat of the fruit? You do. Somebody else does, right? Somebody else benefits from the fruit. So when you are living out your faith and you're loving your neighbor and your family and you're this and that, what are they consuming and interacting? But the fruit of God in you. And there's seeds in that fruit. There's seeds in that fruit that can produce new life. And that's what we're seeing here as Philip is going around. He's just living his life and telling people they're consuming it. And some are believing in the seed of the gospel and they are getting saved. And so some of you, let me kind of get another objection. Well, what happens if I can't hear God's word? Well, we already tackled that. Well, well, God can't use me. I'm not like Philip. I'm, that guy was different. And guys, I'm here to tell you, no, you got to understand your role. Everybody has a role. We didn't talk about it, but we did it quickly. Philip went and preached the gospel to all of these people in Samaria, but Peter and John had to come and do a different part. So guys, you're not out here trying to win the game and put the whole team on your back. Jesus did on the cross. He put us on his back. But so we just do our part. I do my part. You, look, I'm doing my part right now. But when the service is over, you do your part as encouraging somebody else, sharing somebody loving. We all play our part together. And collectively, God is doing something amazing. But we all play our part. So if you're like, well, I can't do what you do. Well, I can't do what you do. There's things that you do that I can't. But when we all work together, it makes a difference. So if you ask yourself, well, you know, can God use me? Well, yes, the answer is yes, of course he can. But what was I? Well, what if I fail? What if I fail? This is the big one. What if I try and go and live out and tell people and they don't listen? Or what if I do it wrong? Well, look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 17, 18. Paul tells him, the Christ, which by the way, the same Saul that becomes Paul, check this out. For Christ did not send me, Paul, to, be, to, uh, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, to tell you the truth of Jesus, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effects. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. You know what he's telling him here? He's like, listen, first off, I'm not out here trying to impress you with my wisdom or analogies, which he did use, but he knew that the power is not in my speech. The power is in the spirit. It's not in me. It's in God. But then he says this amazing thing. Look, this message is going to be foolishness for people. Some people are going to ignore you. They don't understand. But those who know, what is it? Is it foolishness? No, there's power. There's life. So even if they think we're dumb, we should, be, we should feel sorry for them. We, our hearts should break. Do you guys know that Jesus warned us of this when he talked about spreading seeds? Do you got anybody here know, maybe online, the parable of the sower? 
where Jesus says, you know, a sower spreads seeds. And some land on rocky hearts, some land on shallow, where it kind of receives it, but not really. Some land on an area that has a lot of weeds that choke it out. And some land on good soil and it produces a lot of fruit. That, Jesus was preparing his disciples to deal with failure. Jesus was telling his disciples, listen, when you go and spread the gospel, you're going to tell people and some people are going to be so hard-headed and so hard-hearted, they're not going to listen. There's going to be others that it looks like they're going to be saved, but in reality, they're not. They're too shallow. That's what Simon the sorcerer, that happened to him. Some are going to believe, but the cares of this world, they're going to be so undisciplined in their Christian walk that they're going to let the weeds run rampant and it's going to choke out the life that is in them and they're not going to produce much fruit. They received the gospel, but they didn't produce a lot of fruit. But there will be some who will produce it, who will hear it, receive it, and produce fruit. Jesus is literally telling his disciples, get ready and get used to expect three out of four people to ignore you. Expect for three out of four people to not listen or to reject everything you're saying. I ain't gonna lie. I kind of stand here every week praying that it's not three out of four of you. I don't know which one it is. It's God. He'll figure it out. I stand here every week hoping that it's God is there's three out me at least more than, but I pray that it is not three out of the four of you that are here that are truly going to hear and apply and believe. I pray it's not, but I don't know. That's God. But see, as believers, I'm here to tell you if I can stand here every week expecting to fail, it is not me failing. God's going to do the work and it is up to God to change your heart. Only God can change and remove your rocky heart and turn it around. Only God can help you to remove those weeds. Only God can help you to go from a shallow person to one of death. Only God can do that. I can't do that. I pray he does. And I pray you allow him to. He's the only one that can get in the ground and till the ground like that. But see, that's not your job for people to receive. It's your job for people to, it's your job to tell them. It's your job to live it out and let God handle the rest. Guys, if I can get used to that, listen, you should get used to that. It's okay. And so if you wonder if you're going to fail, it's okay. What we need to be is just like this. All right. This is what we see happening to the church on that day when Stephen died. As persecution came, the spirit of the living God was just. And the, and the gospel and all believers were spread out. By the way, do you know these are seeds? Who's ever blown one of these? Who's ever done this as a kid? Right? You pluck it and you, you know, hopefully you're not that jerk that, that, you know, and had that person, you know, and they believe they kind of inhaled it or put it in their mouth. Some of y'all, y'all are wicked. That's, that's mean, dude. That's mean. But how did, these are all seeds that are produced. And how can this dandelion produce? Look at you. How can dandy, how can dandelions produce fruit guys? How can dandelions produce a fruit that turns into a seed? It has to be in the ground, doesn't it? right? How can a dandelion produce these fruits? It has to be rooted in the ground. And when we are rooted and grounded into the love of God, into the word of God, the spirit will produce fruits in us. And then the spirit will produce and spread seeds through us. And so as we allow the the wind of the spirit and the word of God to dwell richly in us as the spirit, as the words of God are and we are receiving it in us. God is spreading out in seed. You can't even imagine. That's why Jesus says in the end, there will be some people who are going to get a reward. Who they're going to be said, Jesus. Jesus goes, hey, thank you for doing this and doing this and doing this and doing this. And they're going to say, when did we do that? I didn't know we did all those things for you. And he says, oh, because you did it for the least of these. You did because they were obedient. They were rooted. They didn't even realize how much fruit God produced in and through their life because all they did was they were rooted in the truth of God. You let him handle all that. Your job, all I can tell is you, your job is to be rooted and grounded in the love of God and his word. And let him do the rest. And so listen, the day, so I, I'm going to ask you, I want you to think about this question as we wrap up, like the same question that the eunuch asked. The eunuch asked the question when he saw water, what's keeping me from being baptized? Nothing? Okay. The only thing that would have kept him from being baptized would have been his indecision. So I want you, if you're a believer in Jesus, I want you to ask you, which one, first off, which one are you? How's your heart towards God? Is it rocky, stony? If it is, then you already know because you've already stopped YouTube me on a long time ago or maybe you've already had a bunch of objections that you would love to argue with me about right now. Maybe you're shallow. Maybe there's a lot of weeds that are choking and keeping you from focusing or maybe not. But I'm going to ask you a question. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, what is keeping you from producing fruit 
and scattering seeds. What is, what is keeping you? Maybe for some of you it could be unforgiveness. Maybe it's just laziness, apathy. You're not getting in God's word, so you're not letting the wind blow into your, into your life and causing you to do anything. Whatever it is, what is causing you? You know if you're producing fruit or not. And I'm not talking about being perfect because I got a bunch of fruit on my vine that are not ripe yet, okay? There's a lot that are not ripe, but there's life. So we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about, is there life? What's keeping you from producing and scattering? Is it fear? Is it worry? We've already tackled all of those today. So when I ask you, what's keeping you? Nothing but your indecision. So decide today to make this today, on this day, and every day, on to, when it's tomorrow, on this day, I will pray to the Lord. On this day, I will get in God's word. On this day, I will follow Jesus. On this day, that should be our life every day. And for all of the rest of you, if you were wondering, well, can God save me and this and that? Well, I ask you the same question that you need. It, what's keeping you from being saved? Nothing but your indecision. Because there is no barrier. doesn't matter your race, your color, your creed, your, your, your conduct, what you've done and become. There is nothing. Jesus has removed it all. The only thing that can keep you from being, not being saved is your indecision. Put your trust in Jesus and say, Lord, save me. And he will. Because on that day that you put your trust in Jesus, those of us who have done it, we know. On the day that you put your trust in Jesus, history has now been rewritten. Your history has now been rewritten. Your past has been rewritten because the blood of Jesus has washed away all of it. So it's like you never did anything. And now history is being made because now your destiny is different. It is not hell that is your destiny, but it is heaven. God has rewritten your story since the day on that day. And so as believers, listen, as believers, we should live every day in response to what happened on the day Jesus died, on the day Jesus rose from the dead, and on the day, the day that Jesus saved us. We should live every day in joy in response to what happened on that day. As the Lord scatters us now into your jobs, into your neighborhood, into our communities, and as we reflect the great news of a great God. Chapter 8 of the book of Acts helps us to see one amazing thing especially in the life of Philip, that God desires to do something in us and through us. And so remember that, that bottom line, that in Christ you are a branch, that there is life in him. And you need to continue to abide in his word, which means to not only think about the word of God and the love of God and who Jesus is, it's thinking about it and acting on it. It's allowing the belief to impact your behavior. It is rooting yourself more and more, continually growing in the knowledge of Christ. Because the more you root yourself in there, the more God will do a supernatural thing in you and through you. And the supernatural thing, for many, it doesn't sound supernatural, but the fruits of the Spirit in you, of love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The, the life that is in you is full of seeds that the Holy Spirit wants to scatter throughout the world. He wants to scatter it in those inside of your home, in your school, at your work. Listen, everybody is somebody in the body of Christ. And in the end, anything that you and I will do, it's really not us. It is Christ in us. He is going to get all the glory. And so my challenge to you is, just continue to lose yourself and find yourself in the love, in the truth, the knowledge of Christ. And may that light of his shine through you.